Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And ushers are standing in the back. If you need a Bible this morning, why don't you wave at them? Maybe you've left yours at home or in the car. We put the scripture on the screen, but I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand, and you can look at that. All right, and once you have it in hand, um, turn over to Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew 5, and also Matthew 19. You want to put your finger over Matthew 19, we're going to look at that as well. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, his first public instruction, his first public preaching and messages that he gives, and he's, he's laying a foundation here. He's explaining the kingdom, and he's showing you how he, he's really establishing a new covenant and how the kingdom operates, how life operates under this new covenant. Now, normally I just dive right in to messages. Through the years, I mean, I, I've tried to have creative introductions and all those kind of things. And as I've gotten older, I just dive right into the heart of it. This morning, I'm going to, I'm going to wait just a minute before I dive right in. I want, to, I want to share a little bit just with you kind of a, a foundation before we, before we read the scripture and we start together. The, the subject matter that we're talking about today is very painful, okay? It's very, very difficult, and I recognize that. And there is probably few, there are probably few, if any, in here who have not been directly impacted by what we're going to talk about today. And quite honestly, if Jesus didn't talk about it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bring the subject up if he didn't, but he does. And so we're going to look at what scripture says. Now, as we go through this today, I'm going to show you God's word and what I believe is clear in God's word. And then I'll also show you some things that people tend to believe that may be true, may not be true, Um, The scripture just isn't as clear on it as we would like to be, all right? I'm going to tell you where I stand on things and what I believe, but I want to, most of all, in all of this, I want to communicate something to you, and I probably couldn't have said this 20 years ago as a young man, but I'm an older man now, and I feel more like a father to you, even though some of you, I'm not old enough to be your dad. I feel like a father, a spiritual father, and I love you, and I care for you, and I care about the hurts and the things that you go through in your life. And I realize that we live in a broken world and life is messy. I understand that, I get it. And what's more important, God gets it. He understands. And when you hear something, and you may today hear things and think, that doesn't seem right, or that seems hurtful, or that seems painful, or you don't know my story, I'm just, this morning I wanna communicate to you again. I love you, God loves you. And he has answers for all of us as we walk through these things together, okay? So let's dig in. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 31, Jesus is continuing on. And remember last week we talked about the whole idea of what's going on in our heart. In particular, Jesus is talking about lust and adultery and he was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was talking to religious leaders who patted themselves on the back because they were able to keep this outward appearance of being holy, of, of, of being good and doing the right thing. But their heart, inwardly, in their heart, they were longing after things. And Jesus said, the heart gives you away. 
I'm not just interested. God's not just interested in this outward charade that you're putting on, but what's going on inside your heart? He's continuing that conversation when he gets to this next subject. He's still talking to them. It's still the same conversation, and he's talking about the heart. All right, it's very important to remember that. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her, and by the way, this could be him or her, it can go either way, um, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that's all Jesus says right here, those two verses, that's all he says. In this, in this particular passage in Matthew. Matthew 19, he elaborates a little bit more. So turn over to Matthew 19 with me and look at what he says there. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees came up to him and they tested him. Again, remember, Jesus is always interested in the heart and the heart of the Pharisees is already revealed here. They weren't interested in truth. They were not interested in following God, pleasing God, they were interested in trapping Jesus. That was their heart. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to trip him up. And so they came to him and they said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That phrase is very important. Let me give you a little background of what was happening in Jesus' day. There were two schools of thought. There were two um, rabbis, teachers, um, that were very famous, and they're two different schools. Uh, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel, all right? One was, to use common vernacular, one was conservative and one was liberal, all right? The school of Shammai would say that the only reason you could divorce someone is for immorality and fidelity. That would be the only biblical God-ordained cause to divorce. The school of Hillel was much more liberal, and they took a much broader view of it and basically went back to Deuteronomy 24. We're not going to look at that right now, but you can write it down. And go back and look at that passage because when Jesus refers to the Old Testament, he's talking about what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24. And there's instruction that are, that's given there in Deuteronomy 24 beginning in verse 1, the first four, three or four verses, Moses talks about this. And basically what was taking place back in Moses' day and what was continuing in Jesus' day is there were those, this teaching, this thought that if you were displeased with your spouse, particularly because it was a one-sided culture, men had all the power and all the authority, and women were more property than anything else. Um, by the way, that has always been true in history, except where Jesus comes in. You want to know what the greatest liberation for women has been in human history? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anywhere and everywhere, it is the gospel. And so... He, there, you, have this, you have this thought process that basically says if she displeases me in some way, whatever that might be, she's getting older, got wrinkles, that displeases me, okay? She burned my dinner, that displeases me, all right? She doesn't keep the house the way I want it, that displeases me. Any displeasure, I just don't know, I just feel displeased with her today. I don't even have a reason, all right? And so, well, we'll just divorce. I'll just send her out. And there was no protection for women. And so what Moses does under the instruction of God in the Old Testament is he sets up protection for women way back then, which was unheard of in that day, is you can't just divorce her for any reason, any whim. 
And if you do, you must give her a bill of divorcement. There, there needs to be some kind of order that takes place here that you free her up. And you've got to state why. Because she could be just cast out and people think, well, she must have committed adultery or she must have done something awful and wicked. And she really had done nothing. And so there was a protection that was set up there. All right. But this idea, it, was, it permeated then. It permeated in Jesus' day. Unfortunately, it permeates today in the United States. We call it no fault, all right? Which basically means I don't have to have a reason. I just don't want to be married to you anymore, all right? This has permeated human history as long as there's been marriage. And so they're asking him, can you divorce your wife for any cause? And they mean any cause. Jesus answers them. Notice what he said. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And what did he say? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. I want to stop there for just a minute. This is the crux. This is the foundation of how God looks at marriage. Is how he looks at relationships between men and women. He, he announces this in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus reaffirms this in his teaching here in Matthew 19. Paul reaffirms it again in Ephesians. It is the exact same quote. He's going back not to Moses' law. He's going back all the way to the beginning. What is, as Aaron talked about last week, what is the origin story, all right? What is the origin story of marriage? Where is its beginning? God's plan from the beginning was one man, one woman for a lifetime. That was his plan. That is still his plan. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Committed to each other. Divorce was not and is not part of his plan. All right? That is the blueprint. Now, I, you say, wait a second. What, what, there, just stay with me. I'm going to keep going, all right? But you need to, in order to understand what Jesus is going to teach and what he's going to say, you've got to go back to the beginning and understand what God originally established. And he hasn't changed it. His plan for us, and not because God is mean, not because he's a fuddy-duddy, not because he wants to limit my freedom or make life hard. Actually, the contrary. He wants you and I to experience life to the fullest. And he knows how to do that. And he says, when it comes to human relationships, my plan is one man, one woman for a lifetime. All right? Now, Jesus took them back. He said, this, that you're asking about what Moses said, but you need to go further than that. You need to go back to God's original plan. And his, this is his original plan. Now, note, let's go on and read what he says there. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I think that's very important because man can't separate what God joins. If it's going to be separated, God has to separate it. What is one of the ways that God separates marriage? Death. That's one of the ways he separates death, marriage. One dies. When do we die? At God's choosing. He chooses when we die. And once that takes place, I am then released from that covenant of marriage. All right? That's one of the things that Scripture talks about. We're going to talk about a couple other things that I believe Scripture teaches um, that's where God separates marriage. All right? But God does that, not man. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Well, if what you're saying is true, Jesus, why did Moses do this? Notice what Jesus said to them. He said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you 
to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. What is he saying? He's saying because of sin and brokenness and hard hearts, God created certain protections and boundaries that were necessary. But that wasn't his will, that wasn't his design, that wasn't his plan. And what Jesus is doing is he comes and he lays out this new covenant, this new way of of living and thinking. He's saying, I want you to understand God's original plan because what's happening now under the new covenant is my spirit's going to come. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to rejoin you in relationship with God. My spirit, the spirit of God is going to indwell you and you can live in a way that those prior to you were not empowered to live because they didn't have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside them. This is an important, important distinction that Jesus is making. You have to understand what he's saying. Is What we're going to talk about here is extremely difficult and would be impossible apart from the work of God in you and me. Even those of us who haven't experienced divorce and you are married and have stayed married, you've only done it by the grace and mercy of God. That was a quick amen, because you know. If you've been married more than three weeks, you know that, all right? If you've only been married two weeks, you may not know that yet. But if you've been married more than three weeks, you know it is the grace and mercy of God for any of us. And Jesus says this is available to all, all right? Now, he, he went on, and, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. I want to stop and talk about this for just a moment. Because the only place that Jesus brings up, or the only place it talks about adultery or sexual immorality and divorce is in the book of Matthew. And you need to understand what is believed and taught about this, okay? Um, There are biblical scholars, Bible teachers, that I, I have great respect for, who believe that there are no biblical exceptions for divorce and remarriage. Divorce, fine, but you you are not free to remarry. To do so is to sin, is to commit adultery and to cause others to commit adultery. And that is their belief. And there are reasons why they believe that. One of the primary reasons that, that believe, and by the way, if that is your belief, I respect that. I do. I understand. Like I said, there are people I have great respect for and have learned much from who hold that belief. The reason they believe that is because Matthew is the only gospel that has the exception clause in it. Mark, in Mark 10, he does not mention anything about sexual immorality or adultery. In Luke 16, nothing is mentioned. So they're they're quoting Jesus, the same text, the same occurrences as Matthew, but they leave out this. And they say the reason for that is Matthew was writing primarily to Jewish people. Jewish people had a betrothal period, and during that betrothal period, you were considered married. And so if during that time, that betrothal period, before you actually came together, you discovered that one, and again, going back, usually the man discovered the wife because the wife really didn't have any rights. But if he discovered the woman had been unfaithful or immoral in some way, he could put her away before they officially got married during that betrothal period, all right? This is why in the Christmas story, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and so he says, being a just man, he's going to put her away privately. He's going to literally divorce her because they haven't come together yet, but they're still considered married. They're betrothed to one another, all right? And that's a, that's a Jewish custom. They say that because Matthew is written primarily to Jewish people, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about after you're actually married and you've consummated that marriage. That doesn't apply. That is their belief. 
they perhaps, they may be right, but the scripture doesn't clearly say that, okay? That's an assumption, in, in my opinion, that's an assumption that's being made. It may be right. I personally don't believe it's right. My, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I am a student. I study. And my simple rule of interpreting Scripture is the simplest interpretation is usually the right one. Unless the Scripture in other places tells me reasons why this wouldn't mean what I think it means. The simplest interpretation is Jesus meant what he said, is that divorce shouldn't happen unless one of the partners has been unfaithful, has been sexually immoral. Now, the reason I believe that, there are several reasons. One is, again, when Jesus back, when he referred to the very beginning in Genesis 2, he said, man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. The, the coming together sexually is the covenant sign. It is the sign of this covenant. And by the way, we are talking, when we talk about marriage, we are talking about a covenant, not a contract. You do not need a lawyer for marriage, all right? You need lawyers for contracts, but you're not signing a contract. You are committing, a co you are entering into a covenant. You say, what's the difference? A contract protects my rights and limits my responsibilities. So we go through and we spell out in detail, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I have the right to this, I have the right to this, I have the right to this. When it comes to my responsibilities, I want to limit those. I have as few as possible, okay? That's a contract. Every contract is set up on that basis, and attorneys fight for their client to give them the best contract possible to, to, to protect their rights and to decrease their responsibilities, their liabilities. A, co a covenant is the exact opposite. A covenant means you give up, willingly give up your rights, and you assume responsibility. I'm going to say that again, because you're very quiet, all right? A covenant means I give, I willingly give up my rights, and I assume responsibility. That doesn't seem right. I know. See, we've got a problem in America. We've got several, but, all right, but this is a big one. When it comes to marriage, we have so perverted marriage, we don't understand what it's for and how God set it up. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about hedonism, humanism, and relativism in that message? Here is the hedonistic thought that has permeated our culture and it has so affected marriage and relationships that we don't even recognize it. We believe it to be truth. And, is this, and you'll hear it in this one phrase. I have a right to be happy. I deserve to be happy. No, you don't. Not biblically. No, you don't. You gave up your rights. And you assumed responsibility. That's the covenant. Now, are you saying that marriage, am I saying that marriage is just sheer torture? That you just, you're going to be, you just committing yourself to unhappiness for the next 40 years and then God bless it. So one day somebody's going to die and we're going to get out of this. All right. 
Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. God designed marriage, and there is much happiness to be experienced in it. But if you make happiness the goal, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. If you make Christ and his kingdom the goal, even in your marriage, you'll experience more happiness than most of the people around you. But it doesn't work the other way. And because we have messed this up, divorce seems natural and normal. Because again, the goal is happiness. To be happy. If it worked that way, we would see more happiness in our culture, but we don't. I, I was reading on Marriage Today uh, an article recently, and they were, they were quoting some recent studies and this, this was amazing to me, that of those who had, were struggling in their marriage, and they would say it was really bad, of those who stayed in the marriage five years, they didn't divorce, but they stayed in the marriage for five years, 80% of them five years later said their marriage was good. 80%. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this. Paul was right in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says, if you marry, you will have trouble. All right? He wasn't being facetious. If you marry, even if you marry God's perfect person for you, which, by the way, the person you married is God's perfect person for you. All right? You say, well, I don't think this is God's best way. It is now. <laughs> Maybe not then, but it is now. They just became, a, we, God switched tags. There's your best right there. Even if you did it all, quote, the right way, and nobody does, all right? Even if you married the perfect person, and nobody does, all right? You're still going to have trouble. I mean, you have to question your spouse's common sense for the very fact they married you. <laughs> There's something wrong with them. You're going to have trouble. And the only hope for any of this is the Spirit of God at work in two people who come in and say, marriage is not 50-50. It is not. Marriage is 100-100. It's 100% of me given to you and 100% of you given to me. I am not fighting for my rights. I am being a servant by the, by the grace of God. Even when you're a pain in the rear end. Even when you sin even when you do and say the wrong thing, I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to love through me and to do something supernatural in me that you don't deserve. See, I hear that so often. They don't deserve this. You're right, they don't, but neither do you. If, if we're handing out what we deserve, we're all in hell, folks. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. He's willing to do something so much more. All right. Now, you understand what God's plan is. His plan is one man, one woman for a lifetime till death do you part in that covenant relationship. But I do believe that when Jesus spoke this, he did mean that there is a permission given for divorce but never a command. And you need to understand that. Nowhere in the scripture does God ever command anyone to divorce. Nowhere. There is no command given in scripture to divorce. There is permission given. That's exactly what Jesus told the Pharisees. 
Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave them, there was this allowance that was given. There was permission that was given, not a command. I'm trying to remember, I was trying to remember in preparation for this marriage and all the people that I've talked to in all the situations, I don't think that I've ever advised anyone to divorce. I may have, and it may have slipped my mind, but I don't think I have. I have advised separation at times because some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a second, aren't there some situations that are just dangerous? And, and by the way, I've seen those. I know personally, she attended church here for a while, a woman whose first husband shot her seven times. That qualifies as abuse, okay? And she lived, all right? There is protection that comes both from family, church, and government. All three of those are designed to give protection. If there's legitimate abuse going on, yes, there should be some, some protection that takes place, separation and things that happen. There, there are times, there are other reasons why separation should take place. When, when impasses have been reached and, and there's an agreement between both parties to separate in order to work on this marriage and to try to come together again, I believe in that. I think that's healthy at times to be able to do that. So I'm not saying that you just grin and bear it no matter what's going on. There are times to take some action. What I'm saying is that for the believer, what, what Jesus is saying, and I believe this with all my heart, that when it comes to the issue of divorce for a believer, that, that that thought process should not be part of our resolution mechanism for our relationship. Does that make sense, what I just said? We should not be thinking divorce when we think about how am I going to fix? How am I going to deal with? What am I supposed to do in this relationship? Divorce should not be part of that thought process for the believer. You say, what if they committed or are committing adultery? That, I believe, Jesus gives permission in that. But you still don't have to do it. I, can I could introduce you and have different ones share who have had a partner who was unfaithful to them, and yet God brought in love and forgiveness and restoration, and that marriage is stronger today than they ever imagined it could be. Because that's exactly, as a matter of fact, Jesus tells a story, and he says that when he talks about the woman, actually wasn't a story, it was a true event, where the woman comes and she's, she's washing his feet, and she's an immoral woman, according to the scripture. And he's being judged by the Pharisees, and Simon, he's in his house, and they're being, he's being judged. Why is he let, if he was really a prophet, he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And then he tells the story about the one who owed much and was forgiven at all and one who owed a little and was forgiven. And he asked Simon, he said, which one do you think loved more? Simon said, I suppose the one who was forgiven much. He said, you've spoken wisely. When in a relationship, God gives you the grace to forgive much, he also pours out much love. And in my opinion, that's a great exchange. Now, is it easy? Absolutely. Don't hear me say it's easy. Matter of fact, apart from the Spirit of God, it's impossible. It's impossible. But as a believer, our first thought should not be divorce. Our 112th thought should not be divorce. God, what do you want to do in this situation? Sometimes separation is needed. You say, well, how do we discern? How do we know? What do we do in this? I believe that 1 Corinthians 6 gives us direction for that. This is my opinion, and I give it as such, okay? 1 Corinthians 6 is not my opinion, that's God's word. But how I interpret it is my opinion, 
and I'm telling you that, okay? This is my opinion. It's how we operate. It's how we encourage you to operate as members of this body. 1 Corinthians 6 says that Christians should not take Christians to court. And Paul says, what are you doing? He says, settle this among yourselves as the church. Don't go to court. Don't go to unbelievers. Deal with this as believers among one another. How would you do that? I believe that here at LifePoint, the way we do that is through the spiritual leadership that God has created. We have elders here. You're going through difficulty in your marriage. Come to me or one of the elders. It's humbling. I know it's humbling. And say, hey, we're struggling. We're, I don't know we're going to make it. Okay, let us walk with you in that. Let us begin to... Now, it's not because the elders are busybodies and they like to know your business, because they don't, and neither do I. I'd rather not know. It's nice to live in ignorant bliss, okay? But our commitment to you, not from a place of perfection, but a place of failure, really, many times, and the grace of God at work in our lives is to be able to walk with you through this where counsel is needed, where instruction is needed, where separation is needed. And what if you do come to a point where divorce seems to be necessary? Who determines that? The two people who are so emotionally out of whack that they can't see straight? Do they determine it's God's time for divorce? I don't think so. We're too emo That's the reason when you go and you take a child or, or take a loved one into the, the hospital and they're having to do some kind of procedure and they make you leave, do you know why they make you leave? Because you're not in your right mind. You're so emotionally connected to that individual and what's going on. They know you, they are, they're not emotionally connected to it. They can deal with them and treat them in a way that's reasonable and responsible. I believe that God set that up within the church. When you've got two people who are emotionally damaged, they've been hurt, they've been and, and sinned against, and they're all out of whack, you need wise men and women to be able to come alongside, who are not as emotionally connected to it, to be able to say, you know what, here's what God's saying, here's what we believe should be the next step in this. Now, ultimately, you have to choose that. We can't make you, but we can encourage you in it. And I believe that that's God's plan. That's his pattern. There are a number, fortunately, we haven't had many, but we've had two or three over the last few years of situations where divorce has occurred here within the body. In both of those, two, three of those situations, where we've been able to be involved. And one of the spouses in each of those cases refused. I'm not willing to work. I'm not willing to go through counsel. I'm not willing to stay. I'm not willing to do anything. I am done. And unfortunately, because of no fault in the state of Florida and most every other state, you don't have to have a reason to leave other than I just want to leave. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm finished. In those situations, I have actually performed two marriages of individuals who went through that, who fought to save their marriage, were willing to do what was necessary, and could not. There is no condemnation on them. There is no guilt, no shame. We do not give them a scarlet letter D and make them wear it. Folks, divorce is, is sin, or at least has sin leading up to it, there's no doubt. But it's not greater than any other sin. The church through the years, have, we've, we tend to pick out things and make them somehow bigger or greater. For a long time, it was divorce. If you're divorced, that's, well, that's bad. 
Divorce isn't greater or worse, it's just more public. You can't hide it. Some of our sin we hide pretty well. You can't hide divorce. You can't, it's, it's out there for everybody to see. And the great tra- tragedy with divorce is that the brokenness that comes seems, you, you seem to spend a lifetime picking up the pieces. It doesn't stop. Those of you who are sitting out there today and you may be contemplating divorce and you think, oh, I just need some relief. There, no relief is coming your way when you divorce. You may stop certain pressures. You will inherit others. And if you don't believe me, ask those who've gone through it. I talked to someone last night and that was their testimony. It still continues. That doesn't mean that God didn't, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's redemption. There's incredible things that God does. And I could also have couples stand up here and tell you that. As a matter of fact, there are any number of couples I could point to and say they have gone through the heartache of divorce and God has given them second marriages and, and there is beauty for ashes. There is God's grace on display. But I see three characteristics in every one of those marriages. And I've been watching this for a long time. And I don't tell them I'm watching. I just am watching, all right? I'm not peeping through the window, but I'm watching, okay? I see three characteristics in every one of these mar- second marriages where you see God at work. I see three characteristics. And you want to make sure. If these aren't there, you're probably headed for another divorce, Okay? By the way, if you divorce and remarry, your statistic goes up significantly that you will divorce again. And, then, and each time, it goes up greater. Because the problem is, the issues that we had in that first marriage, we just take with us to the next one. If, if God doesn't deal with them. Here's what I find in those couples who have what I believe are blessed second marriages. Number one, there's a humility that they have. There's not a pride or an arrogance. I was right. And, you know, no, there's a humility. And you'll see that. If you spend any time with them, you talk to them, you will see a humility in their life. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You see a repentance. There's a repentant heart that says, God, I, I, I know this isn't your best. This isn't your plan. I'm sorry, I repent. I repent of every, all of my part in this. I repent. And you see a third category, and that is an acceptance of God's standard and his plan. You know, every couple that I know who's been divorced and remarried, when you, when you see God at work in them, every one of them will tell you God's plan is one man, one woman for a lifetime. God's plan is not divorce. They'll tell you that. In this room, if you go pick them out, they'll tell you because they've experienced it, the heartache of it. Now, I also believe that 1 Corinthians 7 talks about abandonment. Again, there are those that I respect who disagree, who say no, that this passage simply means if someone leaves you, you can let them go, you don't have to chase after them, but you're not free to remarry. I don't believe that's what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, it says that if you're married to an unbeliever um, and they leave, but I don't know why it would be any different for a believer, but if you're married to someone and they leave, they desert, they abandon, they're not going to be there anymore. Scripture says you are now free. Some interpret that to mean you're free, you don't have to pursue them and try to make the marriage work, you can just let them go. But the very end of the chapter says, brings up Moses again and says that when you die, you're no longer bound. 
And I just some personally believe that both a, a, a sexual immorality, adultery, and abandonment are biblical permission, if you will, for divorce and remarriage. The real issue is remarriage, not divorce. Someone wants to divorce and, say, and stay unmarried, that's never really a question. It's if you want to remarry, which most do. Now, you're sitting here this morning and you've been divorced and remarried. And the enemy comes at you with condemnation or guilt or anger. Maybe you're upset with me right now because you're thinking, hey, you're talking about me. That is not my intent. I hope you know me well enough to know that is not my intent or my heart. I do not look at you as a second-class citizen. I do not love you less or respect you less. I hurt for the heartache that you have gone through and still experience because I've walked with enough people who've gone through divorce to know the pain just keeps on coming. It just keeps on giving in different ways. 20 years later, it still keeps on. Sin destroys everything it touches. It does in all of our lives. And it doesn't matter what the sin is, whether it's a public one that everyone can see or if it's a private one we think we've got covered up. It kills all that it touches. And God's heart for you and for me is redemption and restoration and mercy, and it is there. You say, Troy, I have, maybe I was divorced and I remarried and I didn't have one of these biblical reasons for doing so. I just thought, and, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, we, we just weren't compatible anymore. You need to read 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes a whole chapter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on this whole idea of not being compatible anymore. Wow, the light went out. Okay. Um, and so, just read it. Okay, it's 40 verses long, but it's a lot there. And, and in a nutshell, what Paul is saying is, because in the church there in Corinth, you had people getting saved, but they were still married to people who were lost. They were pagans. They were serving idols. So you've got a believer married to someone who worships idols. You talk about not compatible, all right? And what does Paul say? He says, if they'll stay with you, stay with them. Don't divorce over that. So incompatibility is not a biblical reason for divorce. Not in my opinion, based on what I read in Scripture. It is a reason to seek counsel, to have people come alongside and to help you resolve issues. That's why we have a freedom center. That's why we do what we do, is to help people walk in that freedom. And my understanding, if you want to know where I am, in my understanding, I believe scripturally, Divorce is allowed because of adultery and abandonment. Some would say, what about abuse? That gets tricky because everybody defines abuse a different way. When Elizabeth was little and I corrected her, she thought I was abusing her. All right? She's like, you don't love me. You're abusing me. No, I'm just correcting you. All right, so abuse is tricky in all of that. I think separation sometimes is in order when we're talking about that. With the purpose of working and bringing restoration. But if you're here today and you've gone through the heartache of divorce and you say, I don't have one of those reasons that you just mentioned, 
What about me? Am I an adulterer? Am I living in adultery? The new covenant does not teach that any more so than a person who is in pornography or a liar or a thief or anything else and there's repentance and acknowledgement before the Lord. Lord, this isn't your plan or desire. This wasn't, this wasn't your will and I acknowledge it. I repent. You see, there's a humility. There's a repentance. There's an embracing of what God says and there's a belief now that mercy and grace is applied. I can't go back and change what was, but I can live differently from this point forward. And I tell every, I tell every divorced and remarried couple the same thing I tell every person who has given away their virginity before they get married. You start fresh today. You start fresh today. Yes, you gave away your virginity, so you're not coming as a virgin into this relationship. But you can repent. You can come and say, Lord, from this day forward, I will live in your purity. I will live. I, I'm a virgin from this day forward. And when I come to marriage, I bring that gift to that marriage. The same is true if you've been divorced and remarried and not for one of these reasons. There is a, a humility, a repentance, and an embracing of what God says. And from this day forward, I honor what God says about marriage. I'm committed to that in my marriage, no matter what. I, this is a covenant where I give away my rights and I just assume responsibility. And I'm going to watch God do miraculous things. We're going to be a testimony a trophy of his grace and what he does. And he loves to do that. He loves to do it. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? I hope you heard it. I, if there's condemnation right now, the enemy is bringing it because you don't have it from me and you certainly don't have it from the Lord. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There is simply a room full of broken people and we all have the scars to prove it. Your sin, your brokenness is different than mine, but no less painful and no greater, no worse, no more vile or evil or wicked. We tend from generation to generation to change whatever we think the most wicked sin is. Let's quit doing that as a church. God hates it all. We want to put, we want to say, well, divorce. And when I was a kid growing up, divorce, it was the, it was almost the unpardonable sin. Now it's homosexuality. Whatever it is, whatever church you're in, whatever, you know what's interesting? We tend to miss the things that God is so plain about. Because in Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 6, when he lived, or Proverbs 16, is it 6? I always get confused whether it's 6, 16 or 16. Well, anyway, it's in there somewhere. In Proverbs, he says, when he lists six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are abominations. You know the first one he lists? A proud look. When's the last time we walked in church? You've got a proud look. You know God hates that. But we will tell someone that Malachi 2 says God hates divorce. God hates a proud look, too. And I've had many of them. So have you. And a proud heart to go along with it. We want to start listing things God hates. He hates sin doesn't hate the person but he hates sin he hates what it does to them he hates what it does to us 
got a different plan, better plan. So if you're not married today, put divorce out of your vocabulary and don't marry anybody who has it in the sense of as a solution to marital problems. It's just my counsel to you as a pastor. I believe it's biblical, but it's my counsel to you. If you're married, stay married. If you think you've got a reason why you shouldn't be married, come talk to us. Let us walk with you. We may agree with you. We may not. But either way, we'll walk together and we'll seek the Lord. If you've been divorced and remarried, stay married. There is this, in my opinion, vile teaching that if you've been divorced and remarried, now you discover that you're in adultery, so you need to divorce that person so that you're not living. No, you've made a covenant. You don't break covenants, okay? If you're married, stay Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 7. Whatever state you're in, stay there. All right? If you're married, stay there. If you're single, stay there. So don't, don't go, well, I need to end this because Jesus said it was adultery. No, there's repentance. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's mercy and grace. Is this clear? I hope it's clear. My heart has been burdened with this message because it's, we can talk about this matter of fact, but I have watched up close and personal the devastation that people walk through. No one will ever hurt you as much as someone you marry. No one. You open yourself up in ways that, to them that you do not do to any other person. And because of the sexual union and that component of it and the way God designed us, no one has the potential to hurt you as much as the person you marry. And when you walk through divorce, I, I heard an illustration once, and it's a great one. I don't know if you know how plywood is made, but it's a bunch of pieces of wood all glued together. And when you try to separate plywood, you can't. It just rips it apart. And that is a pretty accurate description of divorce and what it does. This whole idea of a clean, neat, easy divorce, it doesn't exist. You may get the money all straight and the property all straight and maybe the kids all straight, but the emotions are destroyed and the damage that is done. And I want to tell you today, if you've experienced that, God is faithful. He is the healer. He's the healer of emotions. I want you to bow your heads with me. wherever you are today. You just listen to the Holy Spirit. And would you ask him if there's a deeper work he wants to do in you in these three areas of humility, repentance, and embracing his truth? Whether you're single, Married the first time, married the second time, not married, divorced, whatever. All of us need to allow the Holy Spirit to point out the areas in our heart where we need to be humbled. All of us need to live 
in a place of repentance. I don't have to be forgiven. I've already been forgiven. But I am repenting and I'm confessing. I'm agreeing. God, what you say is true and what I have thought and believed is not. And then I embrace Jesus, your truth. I may not always understand it. And even if it's painful, I embrace it. And I'm trusting you to do what I cannot do. God puts marriage on a high shelf. He values it. He said it's a picture of Christ in the church. He said it's a demonstration to the whole world of this covenant relationship and what it means. As his people, we want to value it as much as he does. Not in a self-righteous way, not in a condemning way, but we want to value it as much as he does. And I want to say one word to those of you who are single and you're not married. Singleness is a high calling, just like marriage is a high calling until the day God would have a different plan for you. And I pray, my prayer for you is that no one would ever make you feel like a second-class citizen in the kingdom because you're single and that you wouldn't feel that way and the enemy would not make you feel that way. There are lies that we have been told and by the enemy, by our flesh, by our culture. Today and every day from this point forward, I want the Spirit to reveal them and I want to cast down lies. I want to throw them away. No more lies. I don't want to believe them. I don't want to receive them. Lord, I pray for each one here today that you'd move by your spirit that Lord you'd cast down lies that you pour out your grace and we'd receive it in humility Lord I pray for a spirit of repentance in all of us to acknowledge what you say is true that what we've believed and thought when it's contrary to what you say then it's wrong no matter if it feels right, it's still wrong. Lord, cause us to embrace your truth. With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our being, we embrace what you say to be true. Cause us, Lord, to daily, moment by moment, to receive the power, the fullness of your spirit to live out what you declare to be true. Lord, make us all trophies of your grace and your mercy because we've all messed up and we're all broken. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. In a moment, we're going to dismiss, but if you're here today and we can pray for you, 
about anything. We have prayer partners. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come to the front. And if we can pray with you about anything, maybe you don't know even how to be in relationship with Jesus, what that looks like. What does it mean to be a Christian? We'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. Maybe you're struggling with something in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. We'd love to be able to pray with you, to talk with you. That's what we're here for. And so we ask you to give us that opportunity to be able to do that. When we dismiss in a moment, our prayer partners will be here. I'll be here. It'd be our privilege to be able to pray with you, right? Prayer partners, if you would come now. And Lord, again, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing and how you're working. I pray for every marriage in this place. I pray for every future marriage. I pray for those marriages right now that are struggling. I pray for an outpouring of your grace and a move of your spirit. I pray, God, that you would do the miraculous in what only you can do. I pray, Lord, in those places where, there have, where one spouse has hung on and they've fought and they're still hanging on, but the other has quit, the other has let go and walked away or pushed away, God, I pray you'd strengthen the one who's holding on and I pray that you'd work in the heart of the one who has let go. God, I pray you'd restore marriages and you give testimony of that. Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in the marriages that we have and the ones that you're going to bring about. It's interesting, Lord, this year has been the year of marriages for us as a church, quite a few of them. Lord, be honored in everyone that you bring about and everyone that already exists. Protect them. I pray against the enemy. I pray against the devil, every, every demon, every principality and power of hell, I pray against in his desire to destroy marriages. Protect by your spirit, by your power, by your name and by your blood. Protect. And we, I ask you, Jesus, cause the enemy to go. Tell him to leave. And Lord, we give all of this to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.